They did not yet have a word in their language for miserable. They would have to invent one. Welcome to Decrypted, Ars Technica's podcast about the television we're obsessed with. Right now, we're watching American Gods. I'm Annalie Newitz. I'm Ars Technica's tech culture editor. And my guest this week is Sam Muscovich. He is Ars Technica's staff writer who covers culture. He and I have both read the novel. He read it a little bit earlier than I did. I just finished reading it. So what we're going to do to talk about the premiere episode is really get into how the show is different from the novel, how it's the same, what we learn from the novel about the themes that are to come in the show. So this is going to be a lot of book geeking for Neil Gaiman fans. And also we're going to talk about the tone of the show itself and and what we learned in that first episode. So let's get started. So thanks very much for joining me to talk about this first episode of American Gods, which is pretty freaking exciting. I am glad to finally talk about it after it feels like it's been an age, not only because the book is so old, but because I saw the first episode uh, at its world premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin, Texas back in March. So this feels like an eternity. And then we got to the online screeners for the press version. And I only watched the first episode again just to stick with this, that I have only seen one episode and what an episode it was, in my opinion. Yeah, it was really incredible. Um, I, I have just uh, finished reading the novel for the first time I actually well. read this is the um, author's preferred version which means it's you know it's it's the extended play version um, and so it's been really interesting because I did watch four of the episodes of the show but we will only be talking about the first one and it's interesting to see sort of how it's changed and, and also how it hasn't changed so before we talk about the book stuff though let's just focus on the awesomeness of this first episode which you know the show has is being you know was created and is being run by Brian Fuller, who is already kind of known as an auteur of television. Um, He's done Hannibal. He did Pushing Daisies. He was going to do Star Trek Discovery, but not anymore, which makes a a lot of us sad, um, especially after watching this. So, I mean, was there anything in this first episode that struck you as particularly Fullery, Fullerite, Fulleresque? I mean, I was looking at it much more through the lens of Gaiman and what was different from him. I mean, I feel like Ian McShane, I think, is perhaps the best ex- extension and expression of Fuller adapting and moving forward in, with kind of his own vision to to put his stamp on it. Uh, because Ian McShane plays a Mr. Wednesday that is so different, at least in the very outset, from the one who's developed in the book. And if I was inclined, what might I call you? What's today? Wednesday. Hmm. Today's my day. In looks, in demeanor, in humor, everything about this Mr. Wednesday is a television show, Mr. Wednesday, and is is just a little more slick and sly because we get to see him work a bunch of people. And in the book, we really only see him work the main character. It's very one-on-one, and here we see him reacting to a whole scene. So that was sort of my take on that. I'd be curious about yours. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, one of the things that I love about Fuller's work, and I think all of his fans would probably agree is that his visual style is so distinctive and he he loves saturated color he loves kind of surrealistic violence that's both horrifying but also poetic and that is 
perfect for adapting a novel, which is also about a kind of poetic violence, you know, something that is both symbolic, but also kind of actually happening at the same time. Although I guess the jury is kind of still out on on how much of it is really happening. So I loved the fact that we got to see Certain scenes, you know, especially in the first episode, kind of pulled forward from uh, later in the book, which are just these hyper violent scenes that set the tone that, you know, no, this is not going to be a fairy tale like other fairy tales you've seen. This is going to be something that is set in America and will have a lot of American symbolism, but also that it's just going to be dirty. It's going to be dark and screwed up. So I loved that. And I also felt like, well, we should talk more about Wednesday. I felt like Wednesday and Shadow's relationship as it gets developed in this first episode was really fantastic. I thought it was very true to the spirit of the novel, um, the spirit of their relationship in the novel where, you know, Wednesday is this slick character and Shadow is, of course, you know, he's a, he's a broken man. He's just had horrible, horrible things happen to him. What should I call you if I was so inclined? Shadow Moon. Oh my boy, that is one outstandingly improbable name. Shadow Moon? And he's he's sort of struggling to have a sense of self after losing basically everything. And so I, I loved that. I also absolutely love the character of Shadow in this show. I mean, he's somewhat different from the book, but he still captures that kind of sense of being lost, but also being really tough and menacing at the same time, which is really, really hard to do. I think it's interesting that we have a show that exists for three kinds of people, in my opinion. The ones who've never read the book, the ones who devoured the book, and then that giant group of book readers who clearly had, uh, what, 25 years to, to read the book? Or so, 15, 15? Yeah, it, it's almost 20 it's, years, yeah. So it's, you know, they've had a chance to either read the normal edition or the special edition. So in, there's a lot of opportunity to to go, oh, you haven't seen this, you haven't read this, you haven't been familiar with this in a while, so we're going to hit you with the old and the new. And I think that works in the show's favor because we are, in my opinion, trying to tell a graphic novelization of American Gods, which is to say we're going to be removing details that Gaiman went on and on about, because he really does fall in love with his own words and his own penmanship, especially in that special edition. And that doesn't, it's not bad for the book. I think it's a great sit and get lost kind of book. But I, I think when you were talking about the look and the feeling of the the show, my favorite moment, and I'm not sure if everyone's going to agree with this, was the driving, the feeling of silence and driving. That does not exist this early on in the book. And, and you almost immediately are given this American cross-the-country taste. And that is what the book really does become about. It is about traveling the entire nation. So you've got this drive through flat, sunny, sad America. And that's what it is for Shadow at the beginning, is a flat, sunny, sad America. Because the book and the show begin with Shadow losing everything, all crumbling one piece after another. And this doesn't happen in the first beginning part of the book, but Shadow just drives to a spot and parks and screams. And that could be the stupidest thing. And me saying it makes it sound like, ugh, really? just gets placed in the storytelling in this way. The book instead does a lot more, I would say, talking about Shadow's wife 
and you get these specific stories about her that don't really come out. I think for the TV show, and I think what you're saying in terms of the showrunners putting their mark on it, they're, they're stopping and going, we're going to use the white space of sadness, mourning, and numbness, because that's a thing that's explored, is that shadow is numb, and that is written out. You get these sort of descriptions of activity and anxiety and kind of tapping around that shadow has when he's leaving prison when he's first emerging when he's going to a funeral things like that that are much better typed out with these long meaningless sort of descriptions and i think the 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 white space of him just getting to lose his crap in the middle of nowhere i just thought that was a really nimble touch and i feel like that's the sort of thing that gaiman may have never written himself but we're we're turning this into a graphic novel so oh and i wanted to correct something i said earlier which is that actually the novel came out in 2001 so mm-hmm. the point is an eternity god eternity 15 years. um so what i was gonna say is that yeah i mean the book does have a lot of what you're describing these kind of long moments where shadow is kind of doing nothing or he's like taking a walk or he's looking at, you know, ice fishing cabins on the water. But, you know, it adds up to a kind of dreamy, it's a dreamy gothic tone in the novel where by the end, it's almost hypnotic. And I don't feel like we're going to get that at all in this show. I mean, the fact that the opening scene is actually something that comes really much, much later in the novel and isn't very highlighted even, where the the Vikings kind of come to America and we see them basically bringing Wednesday or, or Odin to America. He found his God waiting, along with his war. And then a group of completely invisible Native Americans just shoots the shit out of them. I mean, like, I love that. It's just so over the top. We never see them, but it's, you know, it's a symbol of something that, again, happens much, much later in the novel where we know that there are all of these Native Americans and their gods who are very different from the kinds of European immigrant gods that have come later. And they're gods who turn out to be, and I don't think this is a spoiler because we know that this is all about gods, but these are gods that turn out to be ultimately way more powerful and powerful in ways that you know, Western gods can't even really fathom. And I love that we get that evoked right away in this incredibly gory, horrific scene. The corn syrup blood is just I love del- that. Yeah, no, it's so great. And like you said, it's very graphic novelly. And the other thing that it signals is something that we, again, don't learn about Wednesday until way later in the novel, which is that I mean, we we know kind of right away in the show that he's he's sort of a bad guy. He's a trickster, you know, but he's kind of a good guy, too. But we don't know about his just utter bloodthirsty need for sacrifice and violence. And we see that immediately first scene. Like, what do they do to make Odin happy? They murder each other. They stab out their own eyes. You know, this is what makes Odin happy. And so we already know that he's basically kind of a horrible person, horrible god. I mean, charming, charming. But Well, I would argue that the show is also very good at, for anyone who's oblivious and clueless, they don't make that incredibly clear. You get the sense that maybe that's the guy, that maybe Mr. Wednesday is this. But there is enough room for someone who is coming in completely blank to let that seep over them over time. So I think that's handled it. And it certainly doesn't need to be lingered on. It's just that it can be a shadow, that violence, that sacrifice. 
will be this thing that figures in. And so I think it's done in this way that, yeah, it's there. And, and everything is going to be obvious if you've read the book before. There's nothing to be spoiled. So it's a remixing. It's a chance to sort of set the tone a little more quickly without killing the suspense and momentum for anyone new to the story. That's how I felt about that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think that tone setting is really the key there. That, you know, Fuller and, and his writer's room are thinking about those themes of violence, you know, right away. Whereas I think in the novel, the th there is a theme about violence, but it's it's much more about belief and what it means to immigrate to a new country. So I think it's cool that, you know, we're seeing, they don't have, um, you know, seasons and seasons to develop this. So I like the fact that we're getting right away into the questions around violence. The other thing I was going to say is that I feel like one of the really big changes in this episode, but even more so as the season is going to go on, the biggest change for me is Shadow's relationship with Laura, Shadow played by Ricky Whittle, who is just so incredibly expressive and, you know, manages to convey so much emotion when he's thinking about Laura and, and that scene that you mentioned with the screaming. But also, Laura is going to be a very different character in this series than she was in the book. And even the encounter that Shadow has with the wife of his dead friend who, who is having the affair with Laura is very different from what we see in the book. And like that opening scene with violence, it's a lot more raw. It's a lot darker. The emotional tone is it's much more urgent and ugly. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's definitely the tone in the book, at least the, the sort of story that we hear in the book about Shadow's relationship with Laura, their relationship is pretty complex. You know, they've each kind of done crappy things. They've each done good things. And in in the show, Laura is filled out in a much different way. So we'll, we'll talk about that in, in future episodes, but it's something to be thinking about is what does it mean that the, that the tone has changed in this way and that how, it, how it has affected the characters. One thing that I want to talk to you about is Technical Boy, who kind of... Oh, yes. He kind of sucks in the novel. It's funny because I was watching the show and I was like, because I watched the, the first four episodes and then I read the novel. So that was kind of an interesting experience. As I was watching the show, I was like, this is terrible. Why did they do this? You know, this is just ridiculous. And then in the novel, he's even more terrible. It's <laughs> like, Sam, why did this we happen? Talked. We talked about this and you were so upset. And having read the book, I looked at it and I said, this is way better than I had expected. Now, and here's my here's my feeling. Why now? I can definitely see why. Oh, I will say this is the he is the very over the top old man curmudgeon kind of reaction like it looks you see that moment and uh it's you know he comes out looking like he's 17 on the tv show vaping and he's vaping some sort of toad vapor it smells like an appliance fire synthetic toad skins love that okay, that i have to say like i want to just bracket and say even though technical boy was mostly a fail vaping the toad was genius that mm -hmm. was a great touch and he's also talking about he i love his sniveling tone i love that little and it feels very american to me it feels very american tribute to the uh setup of the feeling of an obvious villain which this book and show both make clear is not necessarily how it works. The Shades of Grey eventually come up. But I do like it as this one sort of plot anchoring bit of obviously nobody likes this guy. Obviously he's obnoxious and youth 
and missing the point of why the story of gods and tradition matters and the conflicting gods and tradition matter. And I also just think he embodies this this sense of this early 2000s feeling that technology was going to ruin everything, that nobody quite gathered what we would all be doing with technology for the next 15 years. Uh, there were you know, plenty of predictions about us essentially jacking into the Matrix and becoming essentially human cyborgs, which has kind of happened in terms of how we stare at our phones. But I am very curious as to how that, whether that really has changed or adapted or evolved, that perspective on tech ruining us. For now, it's the beginning where it's a sniveling kid saying, you're the old, you're tired, you're busted, we're the new shit, we're hot, uh, we wear stupid clothes, uh, (laughs) we love VR. Like some kind of, you know, parody of a YouTuber, which I think is okay that they tried to update him in that way because for people who've read the novel or who haven't um the character in the novel is even more of a kind of egregious stereotype he's basically like a fat teenager with acne who looks like he's been living in the basement wears a trench coat as well with a trench coat exactly and he he's not vaping of course but he he is smoking toad and no one likes him including the other gods uh, because he is so like smelly and sort of teenagery. But the funny thing is, at least in the book, his dialogue and the things that he refers to, like he talks about the internet, um, he, and it isn't it isn't actually completely clueless. I mean, you get the sense that Gaiman knows what's up. Like he's mm-hmm. on the internet at that point, and he understands sort of how the internet functions and who's using it. Except for the fact that, of course, he thinks it's you know he sort of represents the internet as like a fat kid in the basement, which even right. in two thousand one was not true. But then I just feel like some of it just feels so I know what you mean about, you know, it's about kind of how technology is ruining us, but it just feels like such a tone deaf representation of technology. And also, especially now, I really wish that they had rethought the idea of making him technical boy, because You know, of course, in 2001, there really was a sense of like, there's a place that's the internet, and it's separate from the place that is your television, and it's separate from the place that is your radio. But now I think those things are really quite different. And having this idea that there's like a god that represents computers and the internet kind of seems weird. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense as a as a god anymore. I almost wish it was like the god of mobile phones. Like that would have been amazing, you know, or if it, if it had been, you know, the god of YouTube, like, you know, or the god of video, you know, like online video. I don't know how you would have said It would take such a restructuring of the character and of the reasons that that is a worshipped god to really recenter and change that because then we're essentially asking what is it that we're worshiping is it the and how could that you know it may not have to be a technology god to talk about this instant gratification an instagram god for example i just think would be a different sort of it would be a young woman uh just constantly you know with like selfie the selfie stick instead of the vape would be sort of the thing. Like Should have w- been a selfie stick. And maybe that'll happen later, that th- there will be a selfie stick. There very well could be total evolution that does acknowledge and reflect not just the thing, the technologies that have changed, but essentially the worship that has changed in terms of how we use all these things. That is kind of hinted at in the scene with Bilquis, the dating scene that emerges in terms of them completely revising that. That had originally been in the book a story of a dude just picking up a hooker, and it turned instead into this 
I felt like it was an incredibly American scene at first where you've got these two people who would never meet. And you look at and you just, the idea that you would assume that the day to day life, the two characters, this frumpy, sort of terrified white guy and this incredibly confident, just full of herself woman collide because of a fake version of Tinder and that they have this awkward I've had this conversation based on Tinder and internet dating, the kind of collision there, which then ultimately turns into the scene from the book in which we Bilquist reveals herself as, you know, a god seeking the ability to inhale a man with her vagina. I am yours, my beloved because you are the mother of all beauty. Such an incredible scene. It's so funny because when you read the scene in the book, you're like, how the hell will they ever make this happen? And they did. And they did. And it doesn't look cheesy. It looks it really like the, the camera work, the effects really capture what's happening. And it's just it's such a great scene. And I agree that they do a fantastic job updating it. Actually, in the novel, they do talk about online dating. Um, and, and Bilquis is using online dating to meet people. So she's doing sort of both. She's like working the streets. And as she gets weaker, um, as the book goes on, she can't even work the streets. She just has to use Craigslist, basically, right, right, right. which I thought was was also pretty good for 2001 that that was in there. We should talk a little bit more about the Bilquist scene because that really was a good example of the book being perfectly translated in this series. And, you know, it gives us a sense of who these gods are. So in this episode, we meet Wednesday, who, you know, is is Odin, the Allfather, um, who's a, a Viking god or like god of whiteness if you're into black metal. And so very appropriate for uh, the United States today. Then we have Bilquis, who is she's an ancient god, very, very ancient god of, I guess, fertility and maybe just sexuality in general. She's the queen of Sheba. She's a lot of other things. She represents just this sort of fecundity. And her worship involves sex, which is actually part of many, many ancient um, religions that there were, you know, priestesses that were also sex workers. And so that I love that that is in there. And then we have technical boy, Am I forgetting anything? Are there any other gods that we meet? I mean, we've got other characters, but we don't. I, in terms of the major gods, no, they they keep it pretty simple. Yeah, although I have to say, again, like in the book, you know, we we do kind of rapid fire meet a lot of gods. Um, oh no, we don't. Uh, well, we meet the leprechaun, um, mm-hmm. Mad Sweeney. Is he? I guess he is a god of of sorts. I mean, if Technical Boy is a god, then the leprechaun is a god. I mean, that's that. We're getting into semantics a little bit, but yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of the the characters who are more than they seem, who have been on the earth longer than we think. Let's call them all gods, because that's sure. that's. I mean, that's what this is about. It's about gods in America. But yeah, we got we got Mad Sweeney, and then there's Loki. Who we get to see Loki. Yeah, although that's a spoiler. But yeah, we meet Loki. Come on, even anyone who's watching the show and hears a character called Loki, uh, I mean, said out loud is just as obvious. Like, yeah, come on. I'm going to admit right now, I totally didn't pick up on it watching the show. And when I was reading the book, it I literally, at the very end where they reveal, like, Loki is actually Loki. I was like, dude, what? <laughs> I really um, was completely surprised. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like definitely the ideal naive reader because I totally, I mean, I had picked up on a lot of other stuff, but I had, I was like, oh, dude, that's so cool. It's really Loki. Anyway, 
Um, that is that is my sad life. So one thing I was going to say, uh, just by sort of listing off those gods, is that the interesting thing about this story, and Gaiman has talked about this a lot in interviews, he doesn't have any sort of modern religions in there, or so sort of modern. Like he, he sort of refers at one point to Jesus, like really offhandedly in the book. It's like literally one sentence. And we don't hear about Muhammad. And at the same time, so we have no reference really to Christianity or Islam. And although there's a bit in the show, a tiny reference to um, Islam in the show. And then we do have these new gods, like the technical boy. And of course, we're going to meet more new gods as the show goes on. And the thing that struck me and that I kept thinking about really a lot as I was reading the book is that, yes, this is about religion, but it seems to me that it's even more, it really is much more about being the experience of being an immigrant and the kinds of cultural beliefs, the kinds of ideas that people bring with them to America. And then, of course, the ideas that they start to develop once they get here and once they start assimilating. And it's interesting that we see things like, say, Bilquis being replaced by Technical Boy, because, of course, the way that you might come together sexually in the old world, very old world, the ancient world, might be to, you know, go to a priestess and to have, you know, holy sex with her. Now you use Tinder. And that's something that an assimilated person in the Americas would do. But somebody who had come from a very ancient culture to the, the States would have both of those ideas kind of floating in their heads, like, well, maybe I could go to a holy priestess, or I could go to the holy church of Tinder. I feel like, in a way, the the entire story is a bit of sleight of hand, where we're sort of drawn into thinking about this as being about gods and beliefs in, in religion, but it's really about belief in community or culture. And over and over in the book, and in the show as well, what we really are, are hearing are the stories of immigrants who've come over and gradually lost touch with their homelands and not just the religions of their homelands, but just everything about their homelands, the kinds of food, the kinds of relationships they had, their families. And that's why you're always getting these new gods coming up, because mm-hmm. these are the gods of assimilation, basically. But the first episode doesn't really set the table for that. If you are unfamiliar with the book, that would not be apparent. It seems like it's going to be a show about two men. Uh, and you, you just get this sense that Wednesday's got this mysterious mission uh, and you get one, you get a leprechaun. You get a tall, bearded, wants to beat the crap out of everybody leprechaun and some coin tricks. You don't get, I think the second, assuming what the second episode goes by uh, with the Zoria sisters and things like that, I think that's where that plate really gets to be set. The first episode, I think, hints at these sorts of things, but doesn't really talk about that sort of immigrant experience, the stuff that I'm personally really excited about. I think nationalism trends are huge across the world, and I I really think that the stories that jump from episode to episode of different types of worship, of different cultures that were brought to America, and about the things that make America awesome, which I think that's what Neil Gaiman meant from the very beginning, was to make this really a love letter to how America combined all of these ancient beliefs, how they come together, clash weirdly, and create something incredible in its own culture. I mean, that's why the title is so stupidly obvious, American Gods. It's like, that's it. That's what this is. 
because these are gods that have become American. And that is really what I'm looking forward to from the rest of the series. For for now, what we really have is Shadow and Wednesday as the primary thing, as the primary, oh, these are two actors at their A game using game and script as a point of reference to set us up and say, I want to hang out with these two guys and wherever they go, I want to go with. And I think that's a really good way to set us up for all of the other I'm not, uh, cultures of the week, not monsters of the week kind of thing that the book can do. I think you're right that the show does immediately like home in on their relationship. And that's the same in the book. I mean, their relationship is like sort of the making and the unmaking of the world kind of in the book. But at the same time, we do start with this incredible image of some of the first Europeans to come to the Americas. And it's a startling image because, of course, the kind of school book uh, version that we all learn in elementary school as Americans is, you know, Christopher Columbus came and, you know, the Spanish came. But of course, that's not true. And there were many other people who came before that. Um, and there's theories about that in science as well as, as in the myths that, that Gaiman is playing with here. And so I think we are immediately signaled that this is a much bigger story than these two men and oh, yeah. that, you know, there are these gods who are unfamiliar gods, you know, they're unfamiliar because they haven't really successfully become American. And I think that becomes a bigger theme throughout the series, but also even in this one episode, we're seeing these little chunks of culture that just don't really fit into America, like a leprechaun who looks like Mad Sweeney doesn't fit what we think of as a leprechaun. There's this great, actually several great moments in the novel where Gaiman talks about what has happened to leprechauns and why it is that we don't think of leprechauns as big, giant, strong men anymore. He talks about how, you know, in the ancient times, you know, leprechauns were the biggest people under the mountain and under the hills. And as Christianity came in, as new belief systems came in, they kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller in people's minds until they finally became the like little green men that you know from right. the leprechaun movies. And so it's this great sort of juxtaposition of like what the leprechaun was when he was powerful and was pre-Christian leprechaun. And then what you know, we think a leprechaun should be because we live in this modern world where leprechauns right. are, are kind of just something on a Hallmark card. And I'll be curious how or whether those details are told. I mean, again, this first episode to me was so interesting because it seemed to signal the kind of template for the hacking and slashing that are going to be needed to get however much of the book is in this first season onto the screen. Like, there's so many... I. I took so many notes when I went back and reviewed everything about the way that things were cut, smoothed around, what was there, what wasn't there. Uh, so Laura's mom doesn't exist at all. Shadow's release from prison is very different. There's a whole walk with a prison guard who actually calls Shadow uh, the N-word, among other things, and that doesn't happen, although they do retain a, a joke about the good news, bad news about your wife dying uh, was left in. Getting back to the, the N-word thing, one thing that's very different in the series is that Shadow is black in the series. He may be mixed race, but he's coming across as black to other characters, and I think that we're, you know, the actor is black. And in the book, he's 
basically white. He has blue eyes. Sometimes he has encounters with people who ask him if he's a gypsy. Somebody asks him if he's Native American. So we assume that he's somewhat ethnically ambiguous in the novel, but making him a black man kind of changes things in the TV series. It really highlights that this is going to be a series that's going to foreground not just a lot of the European gods um, that we see a lot in the novel, but we're also going to be dealing a lot with gods from Africa, like gods from the Middle East, for example. Those gods, I guess you could say gods that are part of um, communities of color, they're going to be more foregrounded. It's not like those gods are not in the novel. They are. But they're not nearly as foregrounded. And especially Mr. Nancy has a... I'm, I don't want to give it away, but Mr. Nancy gets to have an amazing, amazing scene coming very soon that you don't really see in the novel. And it's just... It's so... Anyway, it's so fantastic. I'm, I'm really excited. And until we get there, it, it ends up still being about what does end up in the show. And I think all in all, what we've talked about seems like you and I are both equally into how this adaptation has turned out. I, I kind of wish that the encounter at the graveyard at the end, to me, that was probably the, the most, I, I don't know about obnoxious, but something about it felt like it was just kind of taking too long to sell a point. That was simply a drive. It was originally, it was the other woman just driving past Shadow and saying something really flip and moving on. And I, I understand that ultimately that was about letting Shadow reveal himself, but I felt like I, it did not make me feel good about how Laura will be developed. Because if Laura is simply going to also be melodramatic and exist for to make Shadow's character more well-rounded, and that is very possible considering that she, in the book, tends to appear as a ghost, as someone who's kind of tangible, but also not really there and also not exactly a mover and actor and things, depending on. There will be an opportunity to show Laura in many different ways, whether by skewing to the script or straying away from it. And that is the thing, that's my biggest question mark as someone who has not seen the other episodes, because the, the producers at South by Southwest were there and they admitted that Shadow and Mr. Wednesday's story was a sausage fest. Like they used that phrase and they want to emphasize more female characters in the show. They said that that was going to be the case throughout the rest of the series. So that is the thing that I think the first episode does not necessarily answer. And I'd like to see that. And there's opportunities. But I just that is my question mark, which is one you probably have an exclamation point on from your vantage point. But we can't spoil too much for everybody. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it. But what I can say is basically just to echo what the showrunner and, and the writers have already said, which is that we do get a chance to see a lot more of Laura. Laura's character is probably the most changed from the novel. I mean, she's really quite different. Um, she does some of the same stuff. I mean, she is kind of undead and, and that's already being hinted at in the first episode. But, you know, I, I felt like in the book, actually, she did have a lot of agency. So it's really hard to say. I mean, she's not a major character. You know, she's not hanging out with Wednesday or anything like that. But yeah, I felt like this first episode was pretty much as good as it could get. You know, it was really a smart adaptation. I did have problems with Technical Boy. Those are problems that are in the novel, too. I'm really not sure how they could have solved them. I think you're right that, like, it's almost... I almost wish that they just cut that character out. Um, but I think... I can see why they have him in there. I mean, it is a god that we worship. We do worship data and the internet and YouTube and all that stuff. So leaving him out also would seem weird. 
But I think other than that kind of small nitpick, I, I was really sold. I just, it made my nerves jangle in all the right ways. So I'm, I'm super excited to watch the rest of the season. Just to conclude where I'm coming from, uh, shortly after the events in the first episode, as you read through the novel, you have Shadow talking to the Zoria sisters. I imagine they figure greatly in the second episode. And in the book, he's on a rooftop with the youngest of the Zorias. It's this very mystical, weird scene. And he talks about that he he says he's in a world with its own sense of logic. It's like a dream world. There are these rules, but they're unclear, but he's just going along with them. And I think the strength of the book is that notion that there's some clumsy moments in how Gaiman wrote the book, but it really does a great job for a long time to guide people through a dreamlike mix of fantastic and grounded. You have familiar concepts that melt together, kind of like in a dream that they seem weird but believable. And I really thought this first episode set the tone for that to continue. And that's what I think made me excited is that it was very watchable. The characters all got along very well. The acting was solid. The dream sequences were great in terms of being those, you know, when it comes to green screen trickery on a TV show, it's not quite Hollywood level budget, but I thought those were solid. I just feel like it was able to whisk back and forth between all of these different things in what, 50, 55 minutes in a way that just made me go, I am on board. Even if the rest of the series is only 50 to 75% as good as this, they are on the right track with understanding the book and moving it forward in a modern way. So that makes me really excited about continuing to watch this show. So thumbs up from me. Let's keep it going. Same here. Definitely agree. And I look forward to more next week. You've been listening to Decrypted, Ars Technica's podcast about all the television that we're obsessing about. So be here next week and we'll talk some more. <laughs>